Welcome to Hear Her Sports, the podcast about exceptional female athletes and women in sports. I'm Elizabeth Emery. Before I introduce this week's guest, I have a quick plug for another podcast. As of August 1st, WIS Sports launched Off the Front, a monthly podcast focusing on all things cycling and hosted by me. The first episode features Emma Pooley, current multi-sport athlete and former super accomplished road racer, a coaching tip from mountain bike world champion Allison Dunlap, feminist cycling writer and publisher Ellie Blue. We're on Apple Podcasts and wherever you normally listen to podcasts. I also have a link to Off the Front in episode notes of Hear Her Sports. I hope you check it out. All three guests are super smart and articulate. Plus, among other things, Emma and I talk about the recent two-day women's version of the three-week men's Tour de France. So that was pretty interesting. Now, on to our regularly scheduled programming. This week, I speak with endurance adventurer Katie Spots, who is best known for rowing solo across the Atlantic. She was the youngest person to do that. She lives in Cleveland, so she biked over to my studio, and we had a great time, as you will hear, because I spent a great deal of the time laughing hysterically. Visit the website's episode notes for details on races and organizations that she mentions. And as usual, I start off by asking Katie to introduce herself. Uh, my name is Katie Spots, and my background is in endurance challenges. Um, I've been doing them for about 10 years, and um, the biggest endurance challenge I've probably embarked on is a, a solo row across the Atlantic, rowing uh, 70 days alone at sea from Africa to South America. But what I'm currently doing is um, ultra running, so that's kind of my, my, my latest passion. I'm sure that we could talk for the whole show about your row across the across the ocean, but um, mostly I'm interested in like what are the things now? It's been eight years, right? It's almost eight years. So, what are the things now that you remember most and are most important to you from that time? I mean, what really pulled me through is having a strong why. Like you could figure out the what as long as you know why you're doing it. So. Since the row, I think the biggest, I don't know, takeaway is like seeing that impact that it's made. So I've been able to go to India, um, South Africa, and Kenya, and Kenya for a month helping like build the projects. So I just, I mean, it really, like before the row, I didn't really know much about the water crisis. And I, I, that was really what it was about. It was a row for water to raise money for clean water projects. So I I think it's just solidified the idea of whatever you, you're you passionate about, find a way to give back along the way. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm definitely like humbled by, you know, how, how much support there was to make that possible because now there's at least 15,000 people that have clean water as a result of of the challenges. Wow, I didn't I didn't realize that. So you're still involved with the clean water. Yep. So I've partnered with a nonprofit called H2O for Life and they're based out in White Bear Lake right outside of Minneapolis and um, they work with schools. So they do school to school partnerships where um, they educate and inspire kids here to help kids in the developing world. So, I mean, we've seen that if you're able to get water in schools, that's a way to keep kids in school because it's often them that are going and collecting water. So um, I do work with with them speaking at schools, and we've done quite a bit of that over the past about three years. How are the kids here helping the kids there? 
So it's very grassroots. They'll do things like penny wars and they'll do like a walk for water or run for water. Four miles is the average distance that people walk to collect water. So a lot of times they do that. I mean, they've sold origami. They've sold crafts. They've done dodgeball tournaments. They've went to shopping malls and asked to collect the coins that people throw in water fountains. They've, yeah, yeah there's really an infinite amount of ways that they've been able to do that. So it's really not so much now me, you know, pulling from my my personal context as much as it's inspiring kids to really take that initiative on their own. So you're still going to schools here? I am. Yeah. So um, this fall, probably not, well, not much in Cleveland, but um, because that the charity is based out in uh, Minneapolis. So um, looking at doing some school stuff um, this fall out there. So you're you're adventurous now, and you've been adventurous for a decade. Have you always been adventurous? Um, I've always been stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my parents will will vouch for that. Yeah, I think a part of it is having two older brothers, and then all their friends were around, and wanting to always keep up with them. Um, I always loved riding the bike, um, climbing trees, just playing in the mud, being a tomboy. Um, So, yeah, I would say that I did always love adventure. Um, Because adventure is very different from sport. Yeah, it is. and, And I'm glad you point that out because at certain points in my life, I'm more into the sport and less into the adventure and more into the adventure and more into the sport. Like, I think triathlon is the farthest from that, like, you know, with working in certain heart rate zones and being very calculated and getting like, all the science behind it and adventure, you just kind of throw that all out the window. And you're just, you know, seeing what the day unfolds because you really you realize that you can plan and plan and plan but they say that it's not an adventure until something goes wrong so it's that's kind of the the point of an adventure to put yourself in situations where you do have to you know i mean i feel like yeah it seems like a lot of the adventures were reckless but even the row it was 2 years of pretty extensive planning and you know, you know, I was like training out on the Pacific Ocean with a woman that had rowed across the Atlantic. I was doing a, a lot with other ocean rowers because really there's not like an ocean rowing for dummies books. You have to really go to the people who have done it. So, yeah, I would say that ultra running kind of fits both the whole like the sport side and the the adventure side because I don't know, it's just less competitive. I think just finishing is kind of its own feat. And um, I don't know that much about ultra running, but it seems like often things go wrong. So there is that. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know, like I've done a lot of meditation, like retreats, and that's something that I incorporate in my life, you know, try to practice on a daily basis. And I feel like ultra running is is very special in that you can kind of get in that meditative state and um i mean i wasn't bored or 
like, when is it going to be over? When I look back at this weekend, um, my, I was talking to my friend about it and um, that was there supporting. And it was like, wow, that went by really like I can't believe it's over, like because you build it up so much. And then I don't know. I, it, it's it's weird. But uh, yeah. So this weekend was the um, Eagle Up Ultra um, in Canal Fulton, the 24 hour challenge. So you could do there were people doing the 100 mile, 100 K, 50 mile and 50 K. So really whatever they wanted to do in those 24 hours. So tell, tell me a little bit about that race. Um, so it was a five-mile loop, and it was pretty shaded, and um, there were about 300 runners. Um, I really, like, I had done an ultra January. Um, it, was really, it's a, it was a cool one. It was where you started New Year's Eve, and then you ran 24 hours or 100 miles until New Year's Day. So I think the cutoff was like 30 hours for that one. But um, uh, yeah, um, so that so that was this this past ultra was my uh, third hundred mile uh, run, um, and the last one I was injured and decided to push through it. So I mean, going into this one, it was. I've already signed up for Ironman um, uh, Louisville, and I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't injuring myself. And so first was like not being injured. And then I there's this guy named Lazarus Lake, and he started the Barclays Marathon. And it's like considered – there's like a – it's a really quirky guy. Like he starts the race by smoking. Oh, uh, I, I saw the movie. It's so okay, good, good, good. good. Um, so he was at the one on New Year's, and he was saying, "Ah, nutrition, like just eat what you want. Ah, just you don't need that much food. Ah, you don't need to walk." Like, and I don't know. He got like ever since I met him and learned about that, like. I'm like, man, maybe he's like the last couple ultras and most ultras people walk. But this one, I was like, I don't know. I just want to see about not walking at all. So was it hilly at all? No, yeah. no. Tennessee was hilly, but um, this was flat. So um, I was either my, my original goal was to go the whole 24 hours and get 110 miles in. And when I realized that I might be able to break 20 hours on the 100 miler, I pushed it on the last like five miles to reach that. So at that point, I was starting, I would say at mile 98 is when I started to feel like, you know, where my gait was changing and I was because I was in pain. And yeah, so I decided that uh, you know, it, whether it was either time or distance, this happened to be the time one. So I was really happy with, you know, dropping two two hours from my first and four hours from my, my, my last. So I decided to stop at 20 hours and got a little bit under 20 hours and get that 100 mile in. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it doesn't make sense, but like... I just love it. I think what doesn't make sense to me about that, I, I'm sort of fascinated by the ultra, and I have seen that movie about the Barkley, um, is the five-mile loop part of it. Ah, oh, Edgewater, the first one, it's the national championships. It was a .9-something mile oh loop. Oh, my God. Start so crazy. <laughs> I, like, crossed the finish line when I saw 100. Like, it shows on the screen what mile you're at. 
And I'm like laying on the ground. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And the race director comes over and he's like, oh, actually it rounds up. If you want your 100 miles, you're going to have to go another loop. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, all right. All right. I could do that. So I, I think, so it is usually a loop. I guess Burning River is one of the bigger ones that's not, maybe, I guess it depends. I feel like the 24-hour races it's usually a loop um i i thought five miles was the perfect distance because one mile was a little you know eh. like i feel like you know for me to pace myself one loop every hour and you know when you're two miles out you're kind of at the turnaround point and then that last mile you're kind of Um, where there's tents and people actually there and so you know two miles out 20 minutes running and you're already halfway through that loop kind of yeah so it it did it did go by pretty fast I get Um, I guess it does give you sort of an internal time sense of time yeah yeah definitely um I I'm so used to like from triathlon doing that for four years, like doing heart rate and watch. And really, I was just like looking at the sky (laughs) to see like, oh, I'm going to be running until this is not in the sky anymore. So I would kind of like gauge what time it was. But every time I went, I could see what my, my mileage was. But the less I think about where I'm at and the more that I'm in the moment, the it just it it's it's a type of thing that you're kind of forced to be in the present moment and um, it just takes so much focus to to really get through it that I don't know. Just... Do you go into a meditative state? Or are you actually thinking about gait and what you're eating and things like that? Um, You know, I, like I jump, like sometimes I'll use distraction. So like my like strategy was like first through 30 miles um, was, you know, just no music or anything. Then from 30 to 50, I was able to listen to music. And then in my head from like Ironman training, it's the race doesn't start until the halfway point. Like, so, so at that point is when I started taking caffeine. And so that was kind of my treat at mile 50. And then 50 to 80, I had no music. And then the last 20 miles, I had music again. So that music was was one way, like as as a a bit of a distraction. Sometimes I focus on things like my gait or um, relaxing my shoulders. That's something that like if I don't if I'm not really conscious about that, I can start getting some like tension in my back and then my I lose my form and, and then like the run economy and everything, it starts and then you start comp- overcompensating. So I, I really try to do focus on my shoulders and making sure that my arms are relaxed. Um, what kind of music are you listening to? Uh, Pandora, kind of like... Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say like club, like, uh, like dance kind of, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I don't really know what SIS radio is, but that's like something that (laughs) popped up. And so I've been listening it ever since. I don't know. Does your Uh, gate change when different songs come up? 
Um, so I think I do run faster with music. So yeah, I would say that it does it does kind of give me that extra boost. Um, so yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I try not to listen to it the whole time. I think, especially because I listen to stuff that's more upbeat. I think that would almost be too much to be listening to that for 20 hours. So a few hours here and there is is what I think works for me. And what what are what is your support providing? What are they doing? Um so I there are people that have crews and you know um yeah, I I didn't have that. You don't have to have that. Um, so yeah, like there there'll be like four or five people making sure you have everything you need and helping you. But I I thought that the race was so well organized and the race organizers and volunteers like at the five at the start uh, there there was um, you know food and. Um, sports drinks and then at the halfway mark they had another one with like limited um, fueling options and then at mile one and four they had your own self-serve water that you can you could grab some um, at those so they had it stocked enough that I felt like um, I would be fine especially because that's how I kind of did my first two Um, but then I did have a friend surprised me and in the last 20 miles um we we ran together which was really nice because the person ahead of me was like 10 miles ahead and the person behind me was like 10 or 15 miles behind so I had been running the whole you know uh 16 hours of that on my own and so it was really nice to finish with that company he wasn't expecting to do that. He was wearing <laughs> flip-flops. <laughs> and he ran 20 miles in flip-flops? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. He gets the award. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he, the longest he had run <laughs> is 17 miles. So I was like, oh, you're PRing. We're both PRing. That's funny. That's funny. Um, you talked a little bit about tactics. Do you have any tactics uh, other than sort of that strategy of the music at certain times and the caffeine or, you know, do you perceive it as racing against yourself or against others or how, how are you going into the race? Uh, I, I'm kind of more of the run your own race because if you're too aware of other people, then you can easily, um, you know, not take care of yourself, not be mindful of, am I pushing too hard? Am I, I mean, and then making sure, you know, you're, yeah. I mean, if you start getting in that, you're just, you're, I feel like you're setting yourself up for, uh, you know, failure because you have to really, it's, it's more, I mean, even like for the future ultras that I do, I'm not so concerned about where I place as much as what are my own personal goals and can I reach those with distance or time. Are you running based on heart rate or on pace or how are you doing that? By feel. By feel. Yeah. I mean, and it's worked. Um, uh, yeah. I I don't know. Like I used to in triathlon get really into that and it 
it goes by a lot faster and I just feel like when I have more energy, I can go a little bit faster when I don't, you know, and I know over the course of 20, 24 hours that will happen. So I'm not going to, I'm just, I really feel like it's more important to be in tune than to push through. Um, Like I think in triathlon, you kind of push through no matter what. And I think you could get away with it because it's, you know, half the time, but and like the intensity level is a little bit different. So I, I, I have no idea what my, you know, what every single lap, what my time was, um, other than like seeing it, um, as I was crossing the like aid station. And do you adjust based on that or you just continue going on how you feel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially because I don't wear a watch. I just, Look at the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure I'm eating. And with the fueling, it's really like, what do I feel like eating? Um, Right. And I do usually do, like they had scratch, so I was doing that. What's scratch? It's it's like, uh, it's a newer kind of sports beverage, sports drink. I don't really like the Gatorade. uh, so it's kind of like a milder version of that um, and settles in your stomach a little bit. So I did that, <clears throat> did gels. Um, they had fruit, you know, bananas, watermelon. They had like pita with guac and pita with uh, hummus. They had pizza, chicken broth and ramen at night. I did some of that. Um, yeah, I mean, anything that you could keep down and do you have stomach issues? Uh, no. That's good. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I, like, brag about this, but, like, I've been able to, like, go on a 100-mile bike ride, and sometimes I crave, like, sugar, fat, eat a Big Mac, and then go on, like, a 5- or 10-mile <laughs> run, and it's, like, I don't know if it's just because I've been doing this for so long, but, yeah, I, I'm very lucky because I do see it a lot, especially in the longer distances, like, there was definitely some of that happening at this race, seeing people that weren't able to keep it down. So, yeah, it does happen. That is lucky. So your training, is that also by feel? Do you have a coach? Um, I did work with a coach for triathlon for a couple of years, but right now I am, yeah, just kind of doing it on my own. I mean, my training volume is probably – not what you would expect. Like I, I think because I injured myself during my hundred miler in January uh, for New Year's, January is out, and then I just started up again slowly in February, and then I, I had a marathon in April. So I was on a marathon training plan f- for twelve weeks until that, and then April, May. So then there was another six to eight weeks from that marathon to this ultra. So not a lot of time. Um, And so the max weekly mileage was probably like 50 or 60 miles. And I know like, you know, like my longest run before it was 30 miles. So, I mean... And are you doing weightlifting or cross-training or anything like that, too? Yeah. So I, I do do weightlifting twice a week. And then now that I'm doing triathlon training, I'll be doing, 
you know, like two or three swims, two or three bikes, two or three runs, and then weights twice a week, and sometimes yoga. What are you, what's your weight workout like? Um, I mean, it's very basic. I mean, it's all body, so bicep curls, lunges, squats. Um, it's all. It's pretty much all with the free weights. Um, the one that I've really like. This is a new one is runner's arms where you like, I don't know. <laughs> it really helps. Like you you only have to hold like eight or ten pounds, but you I do it for a minute. And I think that that's really helped me with like my shoulder issues when I run. I like, wonder if that would help loosen your shoulders and relax you because you're used to holding you, more weight than you are when you don't yeah, have your weights. That's yeah, interesting. It's like that. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I I look like really goofy doing it, but it really that one has been that one's been helping. You know, um, planks. I do some planks, and so there's like eight to ten um, different ones that I do three times, um, and I have weights at my place, so it's very easy to just do it whenever. And are you training in the winter in Cleveland? Uh, yeah, so usually I do like summer triathlon, winter running, um, and I will run outside no matter what. Like I have those yak tracks that you put on your shoes, and um, so there's. I mean, I love. Uh, yeah, there's never a bad running day for me. Like even when it's raining, I I don't mind. So I mean, they say there's never bad weather. There's only bad gear, right, or something like that. So. <laughs> Uh, so what are your days like? Are you doing exercise adventure full-time? Um, well, right now I'm studying for a personal training certification. So that's something that I'm planning on starting in the fall. Um, so right now, yeah, I guess my focus really is just training and then um, doing that soon. Soon, Yeah. And you mentioned meditation. I want to talk for a while about meditation. And sure. uh, like a lot of the other stuff that you do, you, you're extreme. So you've done the 10-day meditation retreats. Tell me about that. <laughs> so uh, I was talking to my friend that just went to Thailand. And uh, he's like, I just finished the most difficult thing I've ever done. And he said about this Vipassana retreat. And, uh, you know, he didn't tell me much, um, just that I had to do it. And so he was also one of the riders um, that I that had biked across America. Um, I did it with him. And uh, well, we were a group of 40 riders doing it for the American Lung Association as a charity ride. So when he told me it was like the toughest thing he's ever done. And I know that you know, we were side by side for many of those miles across uh, America. I knew that, like, I don't know, just the idea of the challenge kind of like drew me in. (laughs) So I had never meditated at all and just decided to try it out. Wait, 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 wait. So you'd never meditated one minute (laughs) and you sign up for 10 days. Yeah. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I I have a tendency to do that. Like even with the row, I had I didn't know how to row. I had never rowed a boat, but I don't I don't know why that works in my head sometimes. Um, so 
yeah, I signed up and there are like, uh, I want to say hundreds of different retreats all around the world. So they, they follow the same format. It's really 12 hours of meditating a day. Um, you're served breakfast, lunch, and like you have something to drink, I think, for dinner maybe. And then um, you you your life like it's very uh strict schedule i they there i watched a documentary recently about how they had prisoners do the vipassana retreat and how they said it was more strict than you know being in their whatever um so i signed up and i guess that was back in probably like 2008 um and mine was in Michigan. So it started the day after Christmas and went through uh, New Year's. And I'm actually planning on doing that same one this fall or this uh, uh, New Year's and right around Christmas. So, um, yeah. So what do you want to know about these? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I found interesting because I, I – I have looked into that before. Wow. I think it's really interesting that that you can't sneak and go read and draw or something like that. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. there's none of that. You're meditating and eating and sleeping. Yes. Um, so I guess another thing to clarify about it is that – so there are other people, um, but it's noble silence, meaning you can't talk. And you can't – eye contact is a form of communication, so you're, you're advised not to do that and to kind of keep your gaze to the ground. So um, – yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know how to describe what that is because I know for every person it's different to to experience something like that. But I guess for me, it was like you see the world. It, maybe okay. Uh, say you're going to the eye doctor and you think you see the world in this cl- clear way. And then, you know, he says, can you see better? He or she says, can you see better now? And then you see that and you're like, wow, I never knew it could look like this. And so that's really it. It's a shift of perspective. It's it's of understanding of yourself, understanding of. Yeah, that I mean, everyone's experience is different. I could tell you there were moments where I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This is stupid. This is a waste of time. Um, And uh, you I mean it's the same thing as like endurance challenges there's moments where you're in pain you 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 throw your pity party you you know you you're mentally just at that low and in meditation it it teaches you um and you get to practice that like acceptance like oh okay i can feel this and not react to it so that was really helpful um, in endurance, it's helpful in everyday life. So, um, did you find that you went through phases, you know, like the first day, all you do is have like that monkey chatter going on and then you move into another phase and something else happens. I've never moved beyond that phase. Oh, um, yeah, I feel like the monkey mind, I would say, I would say they, Day day two and three, they say, is more difficult. Um, I, I don't know what's, like, 
going to arise. But I mean, and I know there's different ways of meditation. Um, the ways that I meditate, like sometimes it's like this this body awareness, like what, and other times it's like m- mindfulness. So sometimes it's like counting your breaths. And like if I do have thoughts, I just label it thinking or worry or, and then, you know, come back to what is real and what is now. Um, do they provide instruction? At For that retreat, they do. They, at the end of the night, you watched a one-hour video, so everyone watches the same. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, that's that's life in the, the Vipassana retreat. Are you gonna are you gonna good. sign up? Are you gonna go with me this, when, this, this fall? Yeah, I actually want someone to like. I want a greyhound or something because. If my car's there, I might end up leaving. <laughs> and I want to like, like with my row, I didn't want to follow boat. If I had a follow boat, I probably would have quit. So I'm trying to like f- figure that out. Anything else about the meditation retreat? or med- oh, Do you have a daily practice? Uh, I do. Yeah. So uh, it's in the morning, um, like 10 to 20 minutes every day. And do you find that makes a difference? I do. Yeah. I mean... If I don't do it, I start to notice. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I struggle with the same things that a lot of people in our country, our world, struggle with. So, like anxiety, depression, like that's something that um, helps me with those types of things too. So, and are you are you sponsored? Uh, so right now I'm on the Snapple triathlon team. So, um, there's some like discounts with that kind of, um, being on their team. Uh, aside from that, I mean, it's not like the row. The row was very, you know, it required a lot of support. So, um, right now it's, it's, uh, being on the, the tri team. And... You're going to go to school for the uh, PT training, mm-hmm. and so you want to become a personal trainer. Yep. And to who? Uh, I actually want to do it at the Y. Like I, I, I mean, I would love to guide people through the stages that I was at. You know, when I was 18. So I, when I was a kid, I was like not so caring about sports and I was more about being there with my friends and I wasn't competitive. And so I just thought I wasn't like athletic because I didn't really, I didn't understand why people were like making a big deal about winning and losing and I just want to have fun. And so I kind of pushed away that, but I had to take a gym class. And so I, I picked a walking running class because I thought it would be an easy A. So when I was there, I was like, well, I, I might as well run because I'm already stuck here. So that's how I f- stumbled into running. So I I think the greatest changes in myself happened in those early stages when I didn't think I could run one mile. One mile was like my Mount Everest. And so I think um, 
I'm excited to see people push through those moments. Um, I mean, of course, it's exciting to be able to see people do would be exciting to see people do bigger things. But um, I kind of want to work with like everyday people that are struggling maybe to do their first 5K or, um, yeah, I would say female athletes. I think that would be fun to work with. Um, so, in in your, I don't know. There was a blurb about your book that you wrote, and it said something about um, empowerment, female empowerment. Talk to me a little bit about that word. I I sometimes have trouble with that word. It seems sort of groovy, guru, and I don't know. And and I, I just curious what you think about that word. Uh, I guess I haven't really thought a whole lot about that word. I mean, what what are you thinking about it? Like what? Uh, it doesn't seem very powerful to me. I I think it's like it to me. I guess it feels like somebody's giving me power rather than me taking power or, oh. or being powerful. Like I'm I'm gonna come in and rescue you and give you power. Okay, I don't see it like that. This is how I think like empowerment or courage or like it, any of the things that is the perception of give me giving you giving something it's not it really isn't about that it's already there it's just taking away whatever's covering it so that like infinite possibility thing exists within everyone but it's sometimes like for me it took people to help me uncover that so i think it's just discovering or rediscovering and being aware of what's already there and the things that we forget like I don't know it's easy to forget because of the convenience of life like how capable we are physically and mentally um so I uh I don't think anyone gives it it's just helping people uncover helping people see that within themselves that it's there I like that what are your goals long term um so <clears throat> i would say that i i am kind of um careful about setting too many goals because then it creates like too a little pre- uh, more pressure so i do like to take things one thing at a time um and i don't want to burn myself out so I think I do kind of keep my focus more short term. Um, but I think like in general, um, the things that are important to me are giving back. Um, I, I'm very into like living simply, um, minimalism and just creating more time in my life instead of chasing other things and so you know time for relationships and growth but yeah I would I I would say it's I'll probably be doing the same things that I've been doing you know so far just in different ways but um I'd say in the shorter term um for like fitness goals it would be to to do a couple more ultra um, runs next year and then looking at doing a run across Ohio and visiting schools along the way so it would potentially be like 10 marathons 
in 10 days, visiting 10 schools, and then finishing around World Water Day in March. So that's something that I'm playing around with, but um, want to see where my head's at after the Ironman before, you know, pushing for or planning too much. Right, that. right. Do you have any ultra marathons that you are eyeing? Um, so I would, I think for next year, it would be the same one, the um, Eagle Up, and then the national championships are right here. So it's oh, right. silly yeah. not to do that one. Um, and then plus, I mean, if if I do want to, I would like to try to do like a hundred. I think, I think, <laughs> I think it is possible to do one hundred and twenty-five, if if you know if everything lines up and, um, because I mean there are a lot of things that with this race I know I could have easily. I mean I could have walked those four hours and got in one hundred and twelve miles. So to get in another thirteen with my training, with crew. Um, uh, I mean, there were, yeah, just different things that I think that's a possibility. So I'd say that would be something to to go for. Do you like competing? Um, against myself, yeah. I mean, I would say that I do thrive when I'm – like training with other people too I I don't know I think that's fun um so yeah I would say like I'd say like with having the kind of distance goals it's it's more about recognizing your own potential versus you know what that's more where my heart is than beating someone Uh, I don't know, (laughs) like, like releasing that idea that I can't is the the high, not I beat you. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, that's what's kind of about Iron Man. I also, it feels a little, I don't know, the, the ultra crowd, it's like, because there's not screaming fans, because there's not like a big hoopla, like you can finish the you because it's a loop. You could finish 100 miles and no one can know. Like it's just like you have no one there at the finish line, <laughs> and so you become like your little own running tribe, and you're cheering each other on, and you become. I don't know. I just feel like just a little running tribe, like. <laughs> I feel like we're all, we have to because it's just so difficult. And do you want to talk a little bit about the water issues that you're fighting for? Yeah. So I was living in Australia, and um, this was when I was in college for an exchange program. And in all the major headlines, it was talking about their water issues. And uh, it just started getting this ball in my head rolling about like, wow, this is a very developed place and they're freaking out about water and that's something that I've wasted my entire life. I didn't, you know, I never thought about running out of water or needing to conserve water and um, I'm definitely not of the make people feel guilty for whatever water wealth we have here. It's just more about Hey, we can make a huge impact in someone's life just by helping them get water. So, so I, I was learning about the water 
issues in Australia, and I took an environmental science class, and the professor mentioned that the wars of the future would be on water. And that was like one of those moments where it's like you can't unlearn it, you can't reverse it. Like it just felt so wrong to me, and it was shocking, and it was almost embarrassing that I didn't know anything about it. And it almost had the same effect if someone told me, like, hey, the wars of our future, we're going to be fighting over air. Like, it's just like, really? Uh, We haven't figured out water and we have, like, smartphones and buildings. And I I mean, I don't know. Yeah. And I would say that, like, I I have in other ways, um, you know, really prioritized finding ways to help. So I started researching, and the more I found out about it, the more I wanted to do something. And that's when I did the big ride. That's the first time, um, the bike ride across the United States, that's the first time that I did something for charity, like an athletic event. So I didn't really understand that whole, you're going to do this thing, and it's going to raise money, but how? So that's where I kind of started to know that you can bring the two together. You can basically do anything and make it into a fundraiser. So, And the money does go, in fact, to yeah, the organization. Yes. So that was very important to me because I didn't want kids that are having lemonade stands to be going to pay for my rowboat. So you know, I did work really hard to make sure that there were sponsorships funds. And before that, it was what I had saved up with summer's lifeguarding. And like it, I mean, I put everything out there to make that work, especially when there weren't any sponsors involved. So we, I was very, you know, fortunate to have had sponsors to help make that possible. A lot of local companies and a lot of companies that were also passionate about water. So Moen, Pentair, Connecticut, um, those are some local ones. And then Spire out in Geneva was the title sponsor. Um, so the local support was amazing. And um, because of their sponsorship, that made, that made it possible that 100% of donations went to the nonprofit that of, you know. And then after the row, a lot of fundraising continued with speaking engagements and working with different rotary clubs and doing different events. So I would say, yeah, I mean, it almost doubled after with all the different events. And what can people who want to support the your cause, what can they do? Uh, so the organization that I've partnered with is called H2O for Life, and uh, their website is h2oforlifeschools.org. And uh $30 is enough to help one person get clean water. So if you want to do that, that would right. be awesome. What do you think about water in Ohio? I sometimes worry about us not being able to protect our own water. Yeah. And we're so lucky with all this water. Yeah, I I feel like, I mean, there are things within our control and there are things outside of our control. And whenever we have a chance to change and to do something within our control... I mean, there's so many ways that we can here in Ohio, whether it's I, one of my best friends has a nonprofit called Drink Local, Drink Tap. So they do lots of 
different events to help our water here. They're doing beach cleanups. And um, yeah, I, I, I think where I spend most of my headspace is what can be done. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we, yeah, there's always room for improvement. Well, we're wrapping things up, but before that, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered? Um, Well, I think, like, sometimes people will be like, oh, I could never run 100 miles. I can never do this. I can never do that. And uh, the truth is I said that to myself at one point, too. So the only thing that I would leave people with is just, like, that idea that just because you think you can't do it doesn't mean you can't do it it's possible that you can and so I think trying is is the most important thing and um you know I've failed and that's uh a part of the process of succeeding so um yeah I guess that's it what is the first step uh the first step if you think you can't do it for me it was the first mile I did one mile and that made me think that I could do two. And then after doing two miles, that made me think I could do three. So I think, I think it depends on what your goal is. But um, I mean, everything has momentum. So when you take that first step, it's the most difficult, but then it gets easier as you go. So great. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun. Very good. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. Sign up for the Hear Her Sports newsletter, which I send out every other week. It includes links to a couple of videos or articles or websites that I discover while researching guests. It's really fun to put together, so I hope you enjoy it. You can sign up at hearhersports.com. Please rate and review Hear Her Sports on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing so definitely helps others find us. Do you know any sporty, adventurous women? Please tell them about these interviews with inspiring, adventurous women. And finally, help to keep this podcast going with a donation of any size. Go to the donate page at hearhersports.com. I'll see you in two weeks. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.